penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. We got two guests this week. This is amazing. Doubling down. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, what else are we going to talk about? Got the guests to come in and uh, break down some recent news for us. Right here on Rebel Force Radio, we are back. Welcome, welcome, one and all. If you are within the sound of our voices and a Star Wars fan, you are in the right place. If you're into Doctor Who, it's another podcast. Several. Or uh, what's the other? What's the other one, Jim? That's the butt of your jokes. Uh, the Twilight. Well, I know you're no fan of Twilight, but uh, I'm trying to the, the the Babylon Five. That's the one. That's the one that uh, seems to get your cockles all up when people start talking <laughs> about that. that. That's not true. You, know, you have you have an unreasonable hatred for all fans of Babylon Five. I know this. <laughs> that is ir- that is irrational. Uh, I just know. sometimes Babylon Five uh, is a convenient punchline. It's about <laughs> it. I, I have no malice toward anyone or right. the Babylon Five franchise in itself. Now, where do you come down on Stargate? Pretty much in the same place that I come down on Babylon Five. Even though it has MacGyver in it, doesn't matter to me. I never watched MacGyver either. Oh, really? You missed that whole thing. I did. Huh. Did. No MacGyver for me. I like MacGruber, though. MacGruber. Oh, jeez. Well, anyway, we're not here to talk about MacGruber, MacGyver, Babylon 5, or uh, any of those other shows. We're here to talk about Star Wars. And like I said, we've got a couple of guests, including Chris Macht. That's right. He's the guy behind The Force Within Us, the sequel to The Force Among Us. He's going to be talking about the uh, red carpet premiere and where you can get the DVD and all that good stuff coming up. And he's a good friend of the show and a longtime, uh, longtime Star Wars fan. Great to be uh, talking to him. Uh, plus, we've got Star Wars in pop culture. We still have some autographed copies of Aaron Alston's X-Wing Mercy Kill to give away. And uh, a whole lot more. By the way, introductions in order in case you're new to the program. Show growing by leaps and bounds each and every week. My name is Jason, and with me, you've heard from him before, my good friend in New York, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. It's good to be back, back in the saddle with uh, uh, what feels like more of a, a regular type of show. You know, it feels like we have a lot of the things in place that are always in place for these things, but it just feels more on the earth than they have been lately because there's been so many things going on. Our show last week with... Dave Filoni was just off the charts. The downloads have been sick. And, um, you know, everything leading up to that interview was pretty intense. We took a few weeks off, but now I really feel back in the groove tonight. And I'm really looking forward to getting into the, the latest news headlines and rumors and all the good stuff that's around Star Wars. Oh, yeah. A lot of rumors these days. Not a lot of news, but a lot of rumors but those rumors do have a nasty habit of becoming news. So uh, let's get right into it. Star 
good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Oh, yes, as reported last week, big news in the Star Wars universe as LucasArts shuts down. And But, but is it? But is it? And, and, and what is the future of LucasArts? And really, what is the legacy of this uh, great company that really helped us to literally jump into the world of Star Wars. And joining us right now, we're honored to have him, another great friend of the show and a former LucasArts employee. He was actually um, the lead sound designer and voice director for the video game division and also served, of course, as an actor, as a voice actor for the company, Mr. David W. Collins on the line. David. This is Captain Solo of Millennium Falcon. Oh, there we go. Don't yeah. forget, big star of Star Wars Smuggler's Gambit. As, What's up, uh, guys? At uh, Celebration 6. Hey, David, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty well, I should say. Um, you know, all things considered, I'm uh, happy to be here back on Rebel Force Radio. Well, we're glad to have you with us. And, and it's very appropriate that you could join us this week to kind of talk about, uh, you know, what, what, how to make sense of this news. Because... I got to tell you, David, as somebody who doesn't follow uh, the, the gaming industry as closely as a lot of our listeners do, it's great to have you on here. You're you're an expert. You're a you're an insider in many ways. You're currently working for Sony for Sony PlayStation, and um, mm-hmm. of course, your history with uh, Lucasfilm and LucasArts uh, puts you in a very unique position. Now. Full disclosure, you have not been an employee for LucasArts for two years now, correct? Yeah, it's been about uh, coming up on two and a half years. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you, there is some separation, some distance, but at the same time, I'm sure you have friends there or had friends there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I will say that um, LucasArts was a really amazing place because the people were just really fantastic to work with. And, um, yeah, I mean, some of the some of the best friends I have in the industry um, were at LucasArts or came from LucasArts. Um, one of the nice things about working at LucasArts was you had an opportunity to work with so many different developers over the years. I mean, we worked with uh, BioWare. We worked with The Collective. We worked with Pandemic. We worked with uh, Sony Online um, a couple of times, actually, with... Uh, Star Wars Galaxies, and then, of course, the Clone Wars MMO. Um, so you got to meet a lot of different people. And Star Wars, as, of course, everyone who listens to the show knows, is a way of bringing people together. And so, absolutely, I mean, um, watching uh, LucasArts uh, close internal development last week was, uh, was very sad. I mean, it was, it was really tough to watch it unfold last Wednesday um, as, as I started getting texts and calls and uh, emails and Facebook and Twitter and everything just kind of going on and and just the the outpouring of of love and I think in the last week I have relived some I've relived more amazing LucasArts memories in one week than it's been more intense in that week than it was to actually live it because so why is that are are people calling you up and you're talking about the good times going out with grab some beers with your buddies and talking about the good old days. Why? Why are? You, why is this the time for you to relive it? Or are you just kind of sitting at home alone and <laughs> thinking about the good old days? What's no, going on? No, I mean on? it was well, well, both. If truth be told, <laughs> <sighs> I just picture David sitting there on like a folding metal chair. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean it was kind of. I mean certainly, Single yeah. There's bulb hanging from a wire. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, pouring some out, you know, for <laughs> eating a TV. My dinner. fallen comrades. Oh. No, 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 no. It, it's it was it really was a lot of people talking to each other. I mean, and 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 I'll, I'll I'll just be totally honest with you. The motions are are currently running, and of course, certainly last week we're running extremely high, and um, um, a lot of sort of love and support came out of that. I mean, listen, it's it's sad. Uh, when there are layoffs anywhere. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't tell you, certainly I haven't been there for the last couple of years and, and it's certainly those kind of decisions are above my pay grade, you know, but I can tell you that, um, the people there were fantastic and layoffs, uh, you know, I've lived through layoffs before. I mean, I'd say most people who work, you know, uh, have, have seen layoffs sure. before and they're, they're Especially these incredibly days. difficult. Yeah. Yes. Incredibly difficult. And, and there's something about, Everyone understanding how lucky they were to work on Star Wars. Everyone there loved Star Wars. They grew up with it. Most people who worked there I, were huge fans of LucasArts um, and wanted to work there because they grew up playing those games. And I certainly was that way. I mean, I remember blowing off term papers because I was so addicted to Dark Forces and Full Throttle and X-Wing and TIE Fighter and all of those games in the 90s. Um, that made me want to work there. And so you felt like you were a part of something truly special. Um, and so, yeah, last week when that happens, everyone just kind of, I don't know, just kind of gets in touch with each other and just, and just says, Hey, you remember, uh, remember this, remember that, uh, the outpouring on Facebook, um, you know, people emailing each other and just, you know, the photographs that started flying around of events that you'd forgotten about, um, just a lot of people just started celebrating the culture and and really starting to to understand the 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 value of of LucasArts. I mean, look, it, it is a very it's one, it was one of the oldest companies in the video game business. It was over thirty years old and a very storied company at that. Now, now, and, now why is it, that? So that's a, a a long time for the video game industry. A thirty year um, because a lot of times these these. These companies they get they consolidate they get bought out they close because the 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 R and D and the cost of developing these games is is so extraordinary that one bad game can oftentimes or you know sink a company is that right absolutely yeah I mean that happens all the time um, well it happens in any business but yeah. um, uh, but in the games business certainly I mean it's it's one thing. I mean, look, making any sort of creative property is is incredibly difficult. This is something that uh, my friends and I talk about all the time is, you know, the amount of uh, snark or trolling that you see on the web. If only they knew how hard it was to do what we do to do a, a radio podcast is the same thing to do a movie, a TV show, a play, uh, certainly a video game. Um, you set out with a vision and a lot of things happen along the way while you're while you're executing that vision. And sometimes things surprise you it, it, for better or for worse when it's better you have lightning in a bottle and something turns out way better than you ever possibly could have imagined and in other cases you hit roadblocks and you stumble along the way and and you just do the best you can to execute what it is you're working on and in the case of in the case of of LucasArts I mean LucasArts was a company that lived through a a rapidly changing gaming market I mean if you think about when LucasArts was in its heyday uh, making adventure games, that is a completely different business than the business that started once the PlayStation 2 came out, right? Because oh, my gosh. Now- well, well, I mean, you think about the platforms that existed when LucasArts started uh, back in the, the, the early to mid-'80s. You're talking about the Apple II, mm-hmm. you know, the 8-bit mm-hmm. Atari, 
Um, mm-hmm. The first Star Wars game that that they put out was that Empire Strikes Back game, right? From uh, right, and that, and that was back in the the arcade days. So I mean, it's it's incredible to think about what they lived through and to be able to adapt and to be able to um, port these games over to all of these different platforms. It's uh, kind of unprecedented in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, LucasArts started in the early 80s as Lucasfilm Games uh, in 1982. And it was um, a, a wonderfully creative place with just a, a small group of people. Um, I mean, just a handful of people making these games. I mean, but Pixar started the same way at Lucasfilm. Right. You know, it started as a small handful full of people. Almost like a lab ruined. in a way, right? I mean... There, yeah, where you kind of were kind of not you because you weren't there at the time, but I mean these these divisions were sort of left to their own devices. You know, there was there wasn't the kind of pressure to to produce, 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 and be profitable. I mean, George set it up so that there could be a lot of R and D and a lot of uh, innovation that came out of these early days of these divisions. True, true, and and I mean I can't speak to the the profitability or not. I mean, but I can say that I mean the stakes were not as high because you just weren't spending the same amount of money. Um, uh, it, it, smaller development teams and and shorter development cycles just means that uh, you know it's it's not as crazy high risk. And this is not something that I'm saying specific to LucasArts. This is a video games industry issue that um, the, the, the cost of making games, as everyone knows, has just skyrocketed in the last uh, 10, really 10 plus years. Um, as, I mean, we're talking about we're, on par with, uh, with, in a lot of cases, big budget films. Absolutely. Absolutely on par with that. You know, uh, making a triple A AAA video game can be as expensive as making a, a giant movie or a, an entire season of television. I mean, there's a lot of money that goes into it. And you add on top of that um, that you're making software. Yeah. Software is, it has its own unpredictability. It's, it's something that um, kind of has a life of its own. It's interactive entertainment, um, which has very, very unique challenges. If you think about, you know, for people who play games, but for people who don't play games, I should say, when you're watching a movie, that's linear. You know, if you rewind the scene or watch it again, it's going to be the same every time you watch it. Uh, in a game, that's just not the case. There's so many variables at play working together and, um, and things can surprise you during development. And uh, yeah, that's a whole other layer of complexity. David, I, I got to ask because I, I kind of want you in, in a way that you can to respond to kind of some of the, the memes out there in terms of how this news uh, is being uh, digested and interpreted by folks out there on the in the media. And one of the comments that I keep hearing is, you know, this really isn't a big deal because um, Star Wars games at their best are generally those that were created outside of, of LucasArts. They point to Lego uh, as an example. Um, how do you where, where do you see that? I mean, do you is, is that is that a legit uh, commentary that LucasArts was, you know, more of just kind of a label and a and a brand when it was at its best? Or do you take offense to that i don't necessarily know if i take offense to it i mean it's it's not um you know the inner workings of of how all those deals go down or who who kind of who kind of participates in in what is not uh is not necessarily something that's always public knowledge and Mm -hmm. and and honestly great star wars games and great star wars entertainment is great star wars entertainment and i'm happy to play it and happy to work on it i will say that um well first of all just to back up i mean 
no one really knows, and certainly I don't know, what the future of LucasArts as a publisher or, or Disney, uh, LucasArts via Disney as a publisher is going to be. Um, I'm sure that those are details that have, have, are, are still being worked out. I mean, it's just too early to tell. What I can say, what I can talk about is, is kind of a retrospective of what LucasArts was when we were making those games with um, uh, TT Games, who made the Lego Star Wars games and, and all of those. You know, LucasArts, and certainly my perspective is also unique being in the audio group because we were involved, whether it was the internal studio developing it or whether or not it was external development, we were still very, very much hard, very hard at work. Um, I worked on Lego Star Wars 2. I worked on Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars, um, uh, worked, uh, you know, on, on the old Republic. I worked on all of those. And, and, uh, I mean, one of the biggest projects, uh, you know, I got to work on was with pandemic, which was battlefront two, yeah. um, which is a huge game for star Wars fans. And, wow. uh, you know, but it didn't mean we, we put Great any game. less work into it. And on the publishing side, LucasArts was, was incredibly involved. And there were producers from LucasArts and marketing PR and audio and, and QA. I mean, there are so many, uh, people working together, so tell me about, tell us a little bit about I mean take an example say like uh, uh, Battlefront Two, uh, you worked on that game correct? Yes. Okay. Give us an idea of the involvement level of your of your collaborators. Your, you know your third party. Uh, who was that actually? That was uh, that was that was Pandemic Pandemic Studios. Studios, and and the contributions of Lucas Arts so that people have an idea because again. The, the 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 idea that's out there is well you know this in in some circles now some people are absolutely devastated and in other circles it's like well it wasn't a real big deal because at their best you know they were uh, just a, just a license but what you're saying is that's not the the case at least certainly from the uh, the, the the studio that you you helmed which was doing all of the voice work and that stuff that was very much a Lucas uh, Lucas Arts initiative. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the first thing to mention is that Pandemic Studios did an incredible job on Battlefront 2, and um, they just made an incredible game. And that was not their first incredible game for LucasArts. Um, Star Wars Battlefront the year before, and they actually made a game that was somewhat similar to Battlefront that came out in 2002 called Star Wars The Clone Wars. I don't know if you guys have... Absolutely. Uh, have I, it up, actually, but- it came with my Xbox. Yes, that's right. So, and it, and it featured kind of similar. It had similar features. I mean, you could play as a yep. Jedi like Mace Windu. You can jump into a tank. You can fight battle droids. Get in, in and out of vehicles. And it really is Pandemic Studios that had that engine, that had that design talent, and was iterating on on that uh, on that code, that game code. Um, I will say I, I can't say that it's you know it's better or worse or it was Lucas Archer's pandemic you know going forward it, all all I can say is that certainly it'll be different. Um, Lucas Arts was very invested in making sure that um, any anyone that they worked with was making a game that felt true to Star Wars. Um, one of the advantages of being at Lucas Arts is you are right there working directly with licensing. Uh, working directly with the parent company and and making sure that everything felt right. Um, you know, when you're when you're doing Star Wars full time, you really have an idea for for what uh, what resonates with people in terms of Star Wars. But um, all of those games were true collaborations. And in the case of Pandemic, I mean, they just they just knocked it out of the park. They were uh, wonderful to collaborate with. Uh, very hungry developer, incredibly talented. Um, 
you know, and, and LucasArts was, was kind of a hub for, for that. Um, every, you know, everyone knows that LucasArts went through different changes at the executive level in terms of presidents and things like that. And everyone brought something different to the table. And at that time, what Simon Jeffrey, who was the president of LucasArts, I believe from 2000 to 2003, something like that. What he brought to the table really was um, a collaboration with a lot of different talented developers. And Battlefront is is a direct result of that. Knights of the Old Republic is a direct result of that. Um, Galaxies, games like that. Um, and at the same time, internal development at LucasArts was also happening. There were a lot of Star Wars games and beyond Star Wars games that, that happened over the 10 years that I was there. What are some examples of those that were just done entirely in-house? Um, so there, the internal studio at LucasArts... Uh, it, it, you know, historically, of course, all of the adventure games, the uh, the Scum adventure games, uh, which is the name of the script utility that they they used uh, to create games like Monkey Island and and um, uh, Sam and Max and games like that, uh, Maniac Mansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were all internally developed. Um, in ter- in terms of uh, other internally developed games, further on, of course, you had uh, uh, Dark Forces and Jedi Knight and. Uh, games like Outlaws and Full Throttle and um, Grim Fandango and um, uh, a game called Star Wars Obi-Wan, Star Wars Bounty oh, yeah. Hunter. I remember Obi-Wan very well, yeah. S- yeah, Starfighter, Jedi Starfighter. I worked on both of those. I'll tell you what uh, I remember about Star Wars Obi-Wan was every time he walked into a wall, he would say, I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure. You know who that, <laughs> who you know was, who that, that? was that? Was that you? No, it was James Arnold Taylor, wasn't it? Was no, it? it was not. It was before James Arnold Taylor became the official Obi Wan. It was Lewis McLeod who does the voice of Sebulba. Oh wow, no this kidding. is true. Yeah. that's cool. Yeah, he he was really able to nail sort of the the train spotting Scottish uh, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> he was um, indeed. David, you've recorded with so many different actors over the years. Who is uh, an actor that really jumps out as being someone special that you've had in the studio? Oh man. Well, I mean. I guess the first obvious choice, and I, of course he's my buddy, but I, I really do mean this when I say that, that some of my fondest memories of working at LucasArts were being in the studio uh, for hours with Sam Witwer. Um, I mean, we... And that was just talking. I, that wasn't... Yeah, any- yeah, yeah. That was before we started recording. You, yep, yep, yep. Yep. Called me out. No, we were just sitting there, you know. She, oh, you know what would be awesome? You know, rewrite, rewriting the script and then getting yelled at later. No, no, no. Right. Uh, actually, if, yeah, if, if Hayden Blackman's listening, he's probably rolling his eyes right now. It, yeah, I can actually hear it all the way from Los Angeles. Um, but no, uh, Sam was great. And one of the, one of the pl- absolute pleasures I had was supporting the Clone Wars as well. Um, uh, I, I mean, we did, I think I worked on five games in support of the Clone Wars series. Um, and having that cast in all the time was a pleasure. I am just in awe of people like D. Baker um, of course, Corey Burton, who is just such a chameleon, who, who does Count Dooku and, and uh, many, many witchcraft, others. Witchcraft, that guy. Voice acting is just witchcraft in his I'm name. telling you. I'm telling you. Cad Bane, I mean, he's, he's amazing. Um, Tom Kane, of course. Uh, it, it, there's just so many. Um, I, my, some of my more impressionable memories is, uh, of, of working with Tamura Morrison down in New Zealand for Republic Commando. Uh, you went all the way to New Zealand to do that. I did. I did. Well, he was the star of the game. And, right. you know, we, we did a couple of sessions over the phone and, and, you know, we started getting into the more complicated stuff. And, and I and the team just thought, you know, go down there and just walk him through. And I took a build of the game and I showed it to him. And 
you know, really, really kind of got him involved with, with the game so that he really understood the context of what was going on. And it worked. I mean, he, he did a great job in that game. Um, that whole cast uh, of, the, uh, of the Clone Commandos was, was pretty, pretty intense. And then to see it come back on the Clone Wars was awesome, too. Um, yeah, so many voice actors. It's, it's actually hard to say. So when really did you start working at LucasArts? What year? I started in 2000. June 21st, 2000 was okay. my first day. And you were at Skywalker Sound previous to that, right? I was at Skywalker Sound. So I actually I came out of, of school and became an intern on the scoring stage at Skywalker Sound in the spring of 1999. And this was literally two weeks after The Phantom Menace opened. And so, um, you know, the, the Skywalker Sound was still mixing all of the international versions. And I was the intern that was like sitting there demagnifying all of the, all of the mag <laughs> uh, on my spare time when the scoring stage was dark and got to just be involved in, in so many different ways. And it was overwhelming in the best way. And, and I just felt like the luckiest person ever. And I thought, man, I will stick with this as long as possible. When a LucasArts position opened up, and on days when I couldn't get work at Skywalker, I was playing a lot of games uh, by LucasArts because they were offered to me at a tremendous discount through the Skywalker Ranch store, and I just sat there and played everything that I never could afford or hadn't gotten to when I was a student. And a sound assistant position opened up in 2000, and I started there um, and immediately started working on the fourth Monkey Island game. And my first Star Wars titles were Star Wars Demolition, which was a PlayStation and Dreamcast game. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the PlayStation 2 came out after I'd been there for about five months, and everything changed after that. I mean, two years later, after doing working on Galaxies, working on Galactic Battlegrounds, working on Obi-Wan, Starfighter, and a game called Star Wars Bounty Hunter, um, which was a huge undertaking um uh started leading republic commando in december of 2002 um and i was on that for two years and that team got incredibly tight um that was one of one of the best experiences i've ever had in game development was was working with that group of people and and to kind of get back to you know how everyone reacted last week um there were just so many great people that that worked there, um, not just the people that that were were there in the last couple of years, but just throughout the history of that company, the gaming industry and even the film industry. I mean, Matt Wood came came from from uh, LucasArts uh, testing department. You know, uh, a lot of amazing people came out of LucasArts and it was a, a great place to be creative and to try different things. And you got to work on Star Wars. Um that that was just amazing um and as it got as it went further and further on and games became bigger and bigger and more expensive um you know the stakes got higher and higher and the pressure the pressure definitely increased but no one backed down from it everyone just dove in and did what it took to to make something amazing um the force unleashed was one of the hardest things i've ever ever encountered in my life and i'm one of i'm one story of i mean i'm one story of uh, over a hundred people that could say the same thing um that pulled off that game so many decisions so many talented people from LucasArts to skywalker sound to ilm to lucasfilm and licensing i mean so many people came together to work David, on was that was that the longest uh, evolution of a game that you'd ever worked on force unleashed i mean when you think about when you first started hearing about it and when it starts, first started being written and, you know, knowing that it was 
you know, canon, it, it, or it certainly held a, a higher level of canon than other things. It was really attempting to tell a story unlike any that had ever been told before. Uh, I mean, that had to be just an amazing experience. Uh, and as you said, a lot of pressure as well. It re- <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it really was. I mean, there was at that time this sentiment that, um, you know, the prequels had just ended. Uh, this is before really Lucasfilm Animation and the Clone Wars. And the prequels had just ended. And now the company was kind of looking to what was going to keep driving Star Wars. Um, Jim Ward, who was the vice president of marketing at, at Lucasfilm, came on as the president of LucasArts. And, you know, I'll tell you, that guy had a way of making everyone feel really special in terms of what we were doing at LucasArts. That was a really intense time because the the mandate at the time was we are going to, if we're going to do Star Wars, we're going to do it big. We're going to tell an epic story, a very character-driven story, and we're going to have really intense gameplay. You know, how can we, how can we make this and just, you know, t- turn it up to 11? How can we make, make a game that's turned up to 11? And so, of course, Unleashing the Force came out of that. Uh, and Hayden Blackman was working with him at the time. And Hayden is such a talented writer. I mean, Asajj Ventress, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a Hayden character. That's a Hayden Blackman character originally. Um, hmm. You know, from he's, the, he's from the Dark Horse comics, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. right. So, I mean, it, there was just a lot of great ideas that came out of, uh, you know, came out of uh, LucasArts and came out of Hayden. And The Force Unleashed um, was in development. I think, you know, we, they started talking about it in 2004. It, you know, by 2005, they were having meetings with George about it. Um, and by 2006, there were technology demos. And then by 2007, we were in full swing of things. And it finally came out in September of 08. It was not just building a new game with a new story, but it was also hiring and building a new team because it was going to be a very large team to pull it off. And building new technology. There was this, um, there was this effort at the time for ILM and, and LucasArts and the entire company to basically build their own technology and really start collaborating. We had just moved into LDAC together in 2005. We were finally all under the same roof. We could go, you know, walk from my desk and go over to ILM and, and talk to their R&D department. You know, we could walk downstairs to the mocap stage. This was a very, very exciting time to be at LucasArts because um, so much was happening and changing. And yeah, The Force Unleashed was, I mean, it was a very, very bold project to be working on and everybody felt it. David, if I may, I, there, I remember hearing about you know hearing george himself talking about merging the two in in a sense that you know the hey these guys that are in the effects department are essentially doing the same thing as the guys in the video game department um or division let's bring them together let's have them you know work together and it seemed like that never really got off the ground because it wasn't until we started seeing and hearing about 1313 that we heard them almost say, well, now we're really serious about this. We're really serious <laughs> about the guys. So can you kind of fill us in there? I mean, th- was that the intention and, 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 and perhaps maybe speak to, you know, why that didn't quite happen the way that, you know, it, it was hoped that it would. Well, I mean, I actually think that, that in a lot of ways it did happen that way. Um, I, I think that uh, one thing to know about the games business well, actually, beyond games, let's just to, to zoom out a little bit. Any sort of technology business is constantly improving, getting better, iterating on your previous ideas. And um, 
things become easier. They become, they become better, higher quality, they become cheaper. Um, and so with, with ILM, I mean, what we were doing at the time was, was really very tough. I mean, there were, there were visual effects and all kinds of things that were, um, visual effects algorithms that came straight from ILM that were in LucasArts, were, were in the Force Unleashed tech demo all the way back to 2006. Absolutely. That is the case. Um, I can't really speak much to 1313 because it was still in its early stages when I left, but I mean, it looked amazing and that work, that work continued. Certainly. Um, I mean, it looked photorealistic and, um, they were, they were basically, um, not limiting themselves in terms of, of detail and horsepower. Um, and, and it showed, it showed when they released it, uh, at E3 of 2012 and, and showed it to the world. That demo was, was breathtaking. And, um, I wouldn't say that it didn't quite happen. I will say that it, it is funny when you're developing a game, things don't always turn out like, like you think they're going to. Um, we, had, we had a tremendous physics engine, um, and, and we had a couple. We had uh, a Euphoria physics, and we had DMM, and it was so good that you actually had to put limitations on it so that you could actually progress through the game. For example, you could tear a TIE fighter apart, but if you're sitting there using the force to play with the ball section of the TIE fighter and you happen to wedge that into a door that you need to go through, Mm. um, you're kind of stuck. You can't move forward. Um, So they had to do certain things in order to keep you from moving through the game. There was this constant, you know, conversation between QA and the developers about, about um, what kind of limitations they need to put on things. Um, you just learn lessons. I mean, any, any game, if it gets a chance to make a sequel or you get to improve upon technology um, like LucasArts and working together with ILM, it's always going to get better the longer you do it. So with, with the cancellation of a game like, like 1313, and, and obviously you know, we know now why this is the case. It doesn't fit into Disney's long-term plans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, can you think back to uh, projects that you were involved in that uh, you know maybe got canceled or you know radically changed to to the point where you know what eventually did come out was something completely different? I mean, was that was that commonplace? And you know, when in the process did that typically happen in development? Um, I can say that um, you're always seeing games go through the green light process, which is the process of, of taking a, a game prototype and presenting it to the company and the decision being made whether or not to move forward into full-on production. Um, we produced a lot of prototypes for a lot of different things over the years that never saw the light of day, for better or for worse, um, and for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, I don't think that LucasArts was unique in this way. Every company goes through that. Um, but it, it's it's always exciting when you're when you're seeing a Star Wars game in development, not and certainly a disappointment when it doesn't doesn't uh, happen. I mean, in the case of thirteen thirteen, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I I, I can just ima- I can't imagine what what it feels like uh, to to take it out like that and and then not have an opportunity to to keep working on it. I know that they're going through really difficult times right now, and and it's it's tremendously sad. Um, and I can't actually. I can't actually say or speak to why, um, but I mean, they should certainly be proud of the work that they did because it's incredible. Um, it's a part of it's it's a part of the industry that uh, is really tough, especially when you're creative and you're passionate about what you do, 
and you're you're working late nights and and um, and you really want to make something satisfying. You want personal satisfaction as well as professional achievement and. And that really shows in uh, in everything that LucasArts did, in my opinion. Even the even when LucasArts stumbled, um, there was a lot of love that went into those stumbles. Um, things just go south for different reasons. Um, I can give you a great story about about something that radically changed at the last minute um, because it it actually has a very happy ending in my mind. So back to Star Wars Republic Commando. Um, this was actually being developed in two in two thousand. To, to 2005, right? So it was in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. We didn't know who Commander Cody was. We didn't know anything while we were developing the game except that these, there were a lot of clones at the end of Attack of the Clones and they didn't speak. They were all, and they all looked the same, you know, uh, in the Camino sequence in Attack of the Clones. So originally we were developing this squad-based game and they all sounded very similar. Um, Less similar even than than what D Baker was doing. D D was amazing in making all the clones sound unique. But we had people that all sounded very similar, and they all spoke very similar because we were trying to be true to George's vision of clones. Well, and by doing so, we kind of got painted into a corner. And late in development, George actually looked at the game, and and this is where he's this is where you start to understand how brilliant the guy is. I mean. He looked at it and he basically realized that, you know, it was going through a similar struggle with what he was what, going through on Revenge of the Sith, which is, I want to make all of these clones a little bit more unique. You know, I'm going to use different colors. I'm going to use different voices. And certainly that idea was, was fully explored in the Clone Wars. So at the very last minute, probably the last two months of development, we completely rewrote and recast uh, Delta Squad based on George's recommendation to give them all unique personalities, have one of them be tough, have one of them be by the book, have one of them be funny. He was big on the comedies, like Star Wars, I can't remember what it was, it was something like Star Wars is 10% or 20% comedy. You've got you've to have something in there to lighten the load because when, it first, when we first started making it, it was very much supposed to be the dark and, and gritty Star Wars. In fact, I think there's always been a push for dark and gritty Star Wars games, you know, because um, and people like that. You know, people people like to see uh, see the darker side of Star Wars and being a soldier. But yeah, uh, George had us change it at the last minute, and thank God because it's such a better game for it. Wow. Well, David, I think that you know, it's great for you to come on here. Great for you to talk about this. I know it, it's it's probably difficult. In a lot of way, in a lot of ways, because you know these are real people. I mean, we read these stories and we hear about uh, you know downsizing, or we hear about layoffs, and you know we tend to think that Hollywood and the entertainment industry is immune from these things that we hear kind of happening in our own hometowns, whether it be factories or you know small businesses or what have you. But it's important to remember these are real human beings with real families and real mouths to feed, and so there's there's a great loss. But at the same time, it's great to have you help us to kind of commemorate and celebrate and look back on on the last uh, you know 30 years of this uh this company that was really a, a well no pun intended a game changer for the industry and um i i remember reading at one point you know george lucas saying as much as he really thought that the, the in a lot of ways the future of entertainment and movies was was tied up in video games people wanted to immerse themselves in the environment and kind of live in that world and he really saw them as kind of the just great devices in storytelling 
You know, I think you're. I think you're right. I I do think that that's how he felt. I I we were messaged uh, in a very similar way while we were at Lucas Arts, and um and I I've read that as well, where he said that publicly. And I mean, to to George's credit, I mean he he is a filmmaker at heart, and that's something that he has always said. It's something that Lucasfilm has always said. That is his medium. He has grown up in in, in that medium and and telling stories all the way back to his film school days and. Even in spite of that, he always had a tremendous interest in interactive entertainment, in computers, in technology, and he supported LucasArts, um, it, you know, through the good and the bad, and and um, really believed in that company for years and encouraged it to find its voice. And there were I, I, we're all better for it. I mean, we all got to play some amazing experiences. I mean, experiences that defined gaming for me. I mean, Star Wars, none of us know what the future of Star Wars gaming is per se. I mean, everything, we're kind of in a new chapter. Um, but Star Wars is just a perfect gaming playground. Um, it's just absolutely vast. And and LucasArts is a tremendous culture. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it really, these are real people. Um, uh, and it is very, very sad. Um, I, I'm very, very sad for, for folks that lost their jobs. I will say that um, I know a lot of very talented people were, are going to be snatched up uh, very quickly because, you know, uh, there's there's just some incredible people out there that are now uh, looking for work. I wish them all the best. And, and um, you know, it's been a big week for LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I'm and, sure it has. And I will say, too, that, um, you know, I am I am very lucky to have been um, one of many people at the company to serve uh, at times as, if you will, the mouth of the company. I got to speak hmm. as a spokesperson for a lot of different games, and I got to travel the world, literally travel the world, uh, talking about our games. Um, and um, it is something that I wish that every single person at LucasArts that worked there got to experience because... Uh, the love that you would see at a convention or even when talking to the press, uh, the love that you would see for Star Wars and for LucasArts and for what was done there uh, was expressed to me in person all the time. And you don't always get that when you're just going into the same building every day and just sending something out in the world. You don't see it. I wish that everyone could see it because everyone that worked at LucasArts um, and, and especially the people, the 150 or so that, that um, you know, lost their jobs, they should be incredibly proud of the work they've done. Yeah, uh, and, I, and if, I'm sure they are, and I just hope that they, you know, uh, you know, get to a point where everything's settled and everyone's okay, and they can just reflect back on what an amazing ride it was. Now, um, speaking of the the mouth of uh, Lucas Arts, you are also a voice of a very important character, an indelible character in the uh, canon of Star Wars. The voice of Proxy. Yes. The uh, yeah. The the. I guess you could say loyal, uh, <laughs> the loyal droid to Galen Merrick, but um, he also was sort of the, uh, for you fans of the Pink Panther, he's kind of the the, the Kato. He was always trying yeah. to one-up yeah. his master and keep his master's skills uh, honed, and one of those ways was to always be uh, trying to kill him. But we do have a clip here of you in action as Proxy. Ah, master! Another excellent duel! Now, Proxy, you did catch me by surprise. I haven't fought that training program in years. I thought you'd erased it. I hoped that using an older training module would catch you off guard and allow me to finally kill you. I'm sorry I failed you again. Well, I'm sure you'll keep trying. 
<laughs> there's something kind of eerie about about it being so joyful and and obedient, trying to kill his master. Uh, but, uh, I'm I, sick I, about it. Yeah, I I'm not just saying this. I think that Proxy is one of the most fascinating characters I have ever read in Star Wars. He is just. So he's just limitless. I mean, he he can uh, he can turn into anything and be anybody. And the idea of this sort of dark side three PO, this in you know inverse world of of a of a best friend that's constantly trying to win your approval by killing you, right, yes. is just such a great idea. Now and, it mirrors your real relationship with uh, Sam Witwer, right? I would imagine that this is no. Oh, now he knows. <laughs> now he knows. No, it's not true. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, no, it's funny because I, I will say that's another great LucasArts memory, and I know I've told the story before, but I, I was not originally the voice of Proxy. I was working on the game, and we were at a table read, and Sam and I at the table read just... I was reading everything that hadn't been cast yet. We had the principal characters, Proxy. They were struggling with direction. They they you know looked at uh, kids' voices. They looked at all kinds of stuff, had done rounds of auditions, and I just read how I thought it came off the page. And Sam, Sam and I started improvising. Some of that actually ended up in the final game. You know, it's like, yes, why are we whispering? All that kind of stuff. Uh, like, who's that? Oh, you know, like kids on a playground seeing a pretty yeah. girl for the first time. <laughs> um, that all made it into the final product. And, and um, that is, is a great memory. But yeah, uh, Proxy's a great character. Uh, if anyone at Disney's listening, Proxy's a really great. No, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> it, it, it was honestly. I, well, they're I talking about these standalone like, movies. You never know what could happen, right? <laughs> the Proxy story. Yeah. Right. What if you had Boba Fett, Obi Wan, <laughs> Darth Maul, and Qui Gon Jinn and Luke Skywalker all as the lead of your movie? Well, now you can. No, <laughs> yeah, that's no, no. Right. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. This is blatant. That's that's horrible. Um, Featuring no, Proxy. But, yeah, but it was it was a great experience, and and certainly. Far and beyond anything that I could have hoped for, and I'm just I'm incredibly grateful to Hayden and to LucasArts for letting me do that. And I, if you don't mind, you know, if I can just kind of give a shout out to my old coworkers in the audio department too: Darrow Farrell, Jesse Harlan, Tom Bryan, all the amazing sound designers. Um, you know, Dara really helped me along too in terms of being able to do voiceover. I did so much voiceover at LucasArts. Um, through the years on so many different games, and uh, it it's 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 just been. I just feel very fortunate. Well, David, thank you so much. And uh, I hope you can stick around. We've got some cool rumors and other things to talk about. Can you hang out with us for a little bit? I like rumors. All right. All right. Let's, let's do it. Let's Come do on. it. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, you know, it's not just uh, titles from uh, LucasArts that, unfortunately, we're going to just have to hear about as, uh, you know, what could have been, what should have been. It looks like perhaps that's the case with... Many an arc for Star Wars The Clone Wars. And uh, Tom Kane was on a recent episode of the Bombad Radio podcast, and he was talking about a potential season six arc involving Yoda. And we haven't seen, really, Jimmy, I'm thinking past season one, you know, everybody points to season one as really the, the, the first and really only time that we got a real glimpse of uh, some good Yoda action in The Clone Wars in terms of character development and uh and him being something more than just uh yeah you go here you go there kind of character yeah you, you of course are talking about the first episode of uh clone wars the first standalone episode to air which was ambush mm-hmm. and uh that was really the only standalone yoda story that we saw in the clone wars we were expecting so much more but yoda is something you want to sort of 
Keep the mystery. You got to keep him shrouded in mystery, in my opinion. But eh, every once in a while, give us a little tidbit of information about the guy's past or how he got to where he is today and what makes him so powerful through the force. All complete and total mysteries. But as Tom revealed in this clip, courtesy of Bombad Radio, there was some more to learn about Yoda and it was supposed to happen in season six. There was a story arc in, in season six that was pretty incredible in terms of people seeing Yoda um, as they've never seen him. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm told that they are finishing that arc, so it will come up some someplace. This is the only time ever uh, that George allowed uh, us to sort of pull the curtain aside and see some of what's going on inside Yoda's head and his background and stuff. So, and I, as I said, the last word I heard is that they are going to, they are going to try to finish that arc Um, where it'll play. I I have no idea. So this very well could be some of the bonus content that we're hearing about and uh, you know, what, what format, what medium these will be delivered in. We, we have no idea, but uh, Tom seems pretty confident here that this will see the light of day. So, I guess that's a positive. Yeah, you know, it's this is the question I have because due to the information released last week in our conversation with Dave Filoni, there are two story arcs confirmed the Order 66 one, we call it, and mm-hmm. the Rush Clovis arc. Right. Dave confirmed these last week. My question is does the Yoda stuff happen as a subplot within those? story arcs or are we talking about a third story arc fattening up the bonus content a little bit because tom reveals also in that interview that they have pretty much completed season six so we'd be talking about how many story arcs for if we're dealing with four episode story arcs 20 episode season then we should expect four story arcs to be released if they're all part of the game plan. Yeah. As Tom says in this very clip, I have no idea and we have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the frustrating thing is that uh, those who have been uh, intimately involved um are you know in the dark as much as anybody and they're of course the ones getting asked all of the all of the questions. Right. The assumption is the that they yeah, right. The assumption is that they know and um it's uh it, it must be a, a a very frustrating time for for all of them because uh, I don't know, David. Maybe you know about how how far in advance these guys are actually in their recording. I mean, they probably have already have, have laid some tape for season six, certainly, and 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 beyond. I mean, I, I yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I know that it, there's quite a long lead time. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were those tweets that came out earlier about how they were working on the story with George. Uh, this was a, a few months back. So certainly that stuff probably wasn't quite, um, wasn't quite recorded, but I mean, th- that's just pure speculation, but yeah, I mean, they record stuff a, a year, year and a half out. And I know that they go in and record all the time just to try things out. Um, and, and, uh, who knows? I mean, they could have a lot recorded, but I mean, the recording's the easy part, you know? Um, it's, right, it's putting right. it all together and, and actually doing full-on production. David, if there was one bit of information you could learn about Yoda's past, about his background, what would it be? 
You know, Yoda, I remember reading a book called The Courtship of Princess Leia. Do you remember yeah. this book? Yeah. Uh, Dave Wolverton. Right. And at, at Lucas Stranded on Dathomir, I think this is the right book. I mean, hopefully Star Wars fans won't call me out if I'm getting it wrong. But there was mention of a younger looking Yoda in a hollow recording that Luke finds. I believe that's the, the right book. Um, and I just remember at that time just going nuts in terms of imagination. Like, oh my gosh, there, there's like 900 years of history with this guy or certainly 850 years of history with this guy that we never saw. Um, what was Yoda like in his prime? And of course, then we got to see him fight in Attack of the Clones, and that just blew me away. So, I mean, we've seen Yoda fight. We've seen what he's capable of. We've seen him be a leader. I'm curious to know more about his race, where he comes from, his planet, his culture, because it says every time you see something about Yoda, it says race unknown, species unknown, right? If you ever see stats on Yoda, you know what I'm talking about, on the action figures and things like that. Um, It's just all unknown. And then Frank Oz speaking... Uh, to to his syntax issues in, in terms of speaking backwards, quote unquote, um, saying that that's actually just because he's so old that it comes from an earlier time that that's how people spoke in an elevated language hundreds of years ago, and the reason he speaks that way is because he is so old. Well, you know, um, Jimmy very Mac similar to how English has changed over the years. Jimmy Mac has a great theory as to what Yoda might be. Jimmy, I yeah, don't know if David's species. ever heard this. His actual oh, species, David, is human. You've never seen a 900-year-old human before. And just look what we know about 100-year-old humans. <laughs> they shrink. <laughs> they lose their hair. They get very wrinkly. Their ears get bigger. The only thing I can't really put <laughs> the hammer on the nail is when it comes to those uh, reptilian feet and hands. But maybe I don't know. Some- I've seen my grandma's feet. Hey, she's almost you know, ninety, <laughs> and I tell you what, man, there's you go through this it's not unlike process. a reptile's <laughs> a oh, lot God. of ways. <laughs> you yeah. go through this, like, scaling de-evolution process, and you end up being Yoda. He's just that's why he's so strong in the Force is because he's been around for so long. So this is the big twist in Star Wars that has yet to be revealed to us. This is this it, right? Jimmy Mack has called it right. Secrets, you know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's like Stuart Freeborn looked exactly like Yoda. Or or did Yoda look like Stuart Freeborn? Uh, I'm not too sure. Maybe, my maybe brain you're hurts. onto something here. Yeah, you're onto something here. That's right. You know, it's just like uh it's just like Gollum, right? You know, yeah, you disappear exactly for a while and suddenly like your, your your fingers start growing together. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. You get a little hunchback. They have yeah. no nail clippers on Dagobah, you know. And uh you know, when you get that old, you don't care if your nails are long or you you got care. bad skin. You know, Yoda doesn't care. Look at what he's wearing. Rags. Great ear hairs. This guy. Yeah, great ear hairs, toenails hanging out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Right. You could just like all old people, you can kind of tell when Yoda stopped buying new clothes. You know, he yeah. did, at some point he just gave up. He's yeah. like, I, I'm just yeah. going to wear what I got. Yeah. yeah. Oh, criticize my clothes, you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm running the Jedi Order. Once you run your Jedi Order, then you can go tell me to shop, you know, and get go tell me to shop at some high-end store or whatever. Right. Not I'll go to Bloomingdale's. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so uh, Tom Kane uh, confirming perhaps, perhaps, confirming some more arcs, or as uh, Jimmy pointed out, perhaps that's a subplot of one of the two arcs that uh, Dave Filoni mentioned last week. Well, time will tell. Uh, okay, so how about this? Here's a story from, uh, from Comic Book News. Apparently, and I take this with a grain of sand, 
Uh, what's smaller, grain of sand or grain of salt? I hate sand. It gets everywhere. Uh, but whatever smaller, sand, salt, doesn't matter. Uh, apparently, they're claiming that there were some uh, details uh, leaked by a Lucasfilm source about Episode 7. Yes. And here, like, we'll give you the rundown. Spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> In case rumor. you know, in case this happens to be, we got an email from a guy. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, was was very incensed about uh, all of the spoilers, uh, Jimmy, that you, that we've been putting out there. Did you see this email? Um, well, we you know occasionally get those. Uh, I don't know the one you're. Well, speaking. but he's talking about Clone Wars. Apparently, he's a little behind on Clone Wars because he's in another uh, part oh, of the yeah. world, and he's about halfway through the last season, and he's claiming that we're spoiling it for him. Well, you know what, um, folks, we can't be responsible for your individual viewing habits, but when it comes to television, my opinion is once it's aired, yeah. it's up for grabs. Totally. So, you know, you really have to prioritize it. We, we did get a lot of things throughout the entire five-season run of The Clone Wars. People saying, why are you talking about this now? I wait to watch it on disc. Again, I'm not responsible for your personal viewing habits. Right. And I'm not going to watch, for example, a special that's like the making of the film before I watch the film itself. So you have to prioritize. And I never say put off listening to Rebel Force Radio, but you have to know what you're getting into. So that's well, There are those out there that are saying, look, I, I lived through the prequel era and I devoured every bit of news and rumor that I could possibly get, and it was spoiled for me, so I'm going to avoid spoilers on the sequel trilogy. So just in case you're one of those... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! We're going to go through, I'm going to go through these and I'm going to, David, I'm going to give you and, and Jimmy Mack the option to call BS or true on these. You're going to make your prediction whether or not you think these plot points will uh, indeed be part of episode seven, the sequel uh, or the sequel trilogy in general. Okay. Oh, this is like a game show. It's so a bit like we, a game show, but I mean, there's no buzz? right answer. We won't know for another two years at least. Um do so, we buzz in? How do we buzz in? Well, well I'm going to go David first and then you, Jimmy, because we're going to let the guest go first. And then, yes. You know, you, okay. All right. So, yeah. so, David, Star Wars Episode 7 will be set 30 years after Return of the Jedi. Likely? Uh, BS? What do you think? Likely. Okay. Likely. Right. Yeah, really, I think this guy's likely. really going out on a limb here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, you're softballing me. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jimmy, you, you agree? Uh, yes, sir, I do. All Considering right. this is uh, the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, and the actors are, the original actors are being rumored to be in these new films, uh, yeah, obviously I would say uh, it would be set 20 to 30 years after episode six. Right, right. Well, but 30 years sounds reasonable. They got to make up for that bizarre, you know, aging of Obi Wan between Eps uh, three and Eps four. Because he aged really dramatically. Uh, you know, life so, out in a desert. Eh, I've heard it before. Two but. sons. Yeah. Two well, sons. two sons. That's, a, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay. David, number two here. It will, it will indeed, indeed, we're talking about episode seven now. It will indeed, the big news here from comic book news, it will indeed feature the Skywalker slash solo children coming to the peak of their powers. Skywalker solo children. Hmm. Well, I, um, 
I can see another generation coming down from from Luke and Han and Leia. I, I mean, I still just don't know how the whole expanded universe is going to be handled in terms of uh, in terms of the Skywalker Solo kids or Solo Skywalker Skywalker Solo Han and Leia's kids. I don't know. Call them Scolo and Luke's kids. Yeah, the right. Scolo kids. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I, I can definitely see it be about a younger generation. I'm a little fuzzy on the details in terms of like whether or not it's the actual kids from the, from the novels that we know. Oh, okay. I just don't All know. Right. All right. So you're saying that it's, it's likely that we're going to see Skywalker solo kids, but uh, not as likely that they would be the kids that we've come to know through the expanded universe. I would say that it's up in the air. I do think that there probably does need to be some sort of focus along with if the original cast is back, there's probably it's very likely there's going to be uh, some focus on younger characters as well in the cast. And where do they come from? That sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, as to as to the specifics of who they are, and whether or not it will follow uh, the EU. I just don't know. I mean, that seems to be the big question, right? Jimmy Mack, what do you think? Do you think they're going to bring the kids in here? Or are they just going to keep it to the core characters? And what do you think? Well, it, it depends. Um, should Luke Skywalker follow the true path of the Jedi? As we know it, Jedi do not have children because it is a form of attachment. I thought it's- it was the lightsaber just made them all sterile. <laughs> well, that could be. <laughs> kind of like when you keep your cell phone in your front pocket. <laughs> That's the contingency plan. By the way, I have two kids, and that is not true. The cell phone does not make you (laughs) sterile. Uh, Yeah. So. (laughs) Skywalker. uh, Right. Now, here's the thing. The whole Han Princess Leia arrangement. Yeah. If Luke Skywalker follows the path of the Jedi and chooses not to have a family because that is a very high level of of attachment he his yoda told luke to pass on what he knew and yoda was speaking specifically about princess leia when he said that so that leads me to think that leia will also follow the path of the jedi and leave han alone and she will go off on her own journey as a Jedi without having children or attachment. There is no assumption to be made that there will be any Skywalker or Solo children. I like where you're going, Jimmy Mac. Okay, I'm just, listen, I'm just putting together the pieces here. Because what is the path of the Jedi? The path of the Jedi is an individual journey void of attachment based in compassion. That's the path of the Jedi. And I believe Luke Skywalker will follow that if he is indeed to become the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the sequel trilogy. Hmm. He was given the, the final order that the Jedi Master Yoda gave him, the Grand Master of the Jedi, was pass on what you have learned. And I'm telling you, he was talking about Leia. Leia knew it. Luke knew it. They become Jedi. They don't have families. Han goes off into space with Chewbacca. They have a family. I don't wait, know. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> wait a minute. What are you implying here? But you know what? I love the idea. Another holiday special. I love the idea that this movie could open up where you see a domesticated Han Solo, you know, walking through the the homestead mm-hmm. and you assume that it's going to be Leia, right? But it's not. It's like Ula or somebody like that. It's, it's somebody 
or or it's Mon Mothma. I don't know. It's it's somebody. It's, it's going to blow aura. <laughs> it's going to blow our minds because the uh, and I'm supposed to be an impartial judge here, but I want to say to David's point about you know there being oh. Okay, likely maybe some Skywalker solo kids involved, but it may or may not be the kids from the EU. I think I I should say I don't think that the right that 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 the writers of these films are going to box themselves in because I think if they open that door to Skywalker solo kids, but they're not Anakin, they're not Ben, they're not Jaina, then it's going to be a problem. Right? So I I have a feeling that perhaps they're going to go Maybe not quite as radical as what Jimmy's saying, but I think that they might go the other way, right? Because otherwise, they're going to have, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I don't know. Hmm. Well, the true Jedi lives life individually with no attachment, no family. But but let me ask you this, though, uh, Jimmy Mack. So that was not something that was established until uh, Attack of the Clones. Right. I mean, this was something that Jedi Pablo Hidalgo points this out in his essential readers guide that, you know, this was a twist that happened, um, you know, because the EU was constantly changing depending on what direction George George went in with the films. And suddenly the Jedi were this monastic order that could not uh, could not marry, could not have families, could not have anything that it's we've already seen it change once. In other words, do we think that it's possible that it could change again? And especially considering that this is a new era. It's the that's a new Jedi Order. I mean, if if Luke really does start training Jedi again, um, can the rules change? Will they be different? And um, will there be a different spin on it? Um, you know, with people going in their own direction from from uh, the prequels. You know, is that just kind of a sign of the times back in the prequel era and now in a new modern era of Jedi? It just seems not sustainable, especially because Luke wouldn't be around if Anakin didn't break that rule. Wow. Um, <laughs> yikes. Yow. Jimmy Mac, you down for the count. One, uh, no, two, asking. three. No, I think, to, <laughs> to, be clear, out, to be clear, that's a lot you, to chew on. But what it is, it's, it's, it's inconsistent <laughs> with what has been established as the Jedi as we know it. Yoda taught Luke the way of the Jedi. He told Luke to pass on what you have learned. Maybe yes. Yoda didn't get to that whole monastic point yet. <laughs> you know, maybe- yes, but in desperate times, but in desperate times, Obi Wan Kenobi trained a very old Luke Skywalker, far beyond the age of when it is normally supposed to happen. Exceptions and in fact, the same happened with Anakin. Yes, exceptions and, made. And, and, and I actually think j- your point is absolutely valid. I just, I just look at the whole thing and I go, I have no idea what direction they're going to go because they might not necessarily stick with that um, because it's just a whole new era and. And if 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 things happen, you know, there's not like an order to keep Luke accountable and Leia. You know what I mean? It's just it's I a think different- it's all because Yoda just couldn't get laid. I, that's what I think it was. <laughs> I think he's like, uh, that's the way of things, the way of the force. No, it's just you can't do it as <laughs> you're three feet tall, green and you have hair coming out of your ears. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps there's really no reason for this. And I would say that I think that if you look at the 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 trajectory and the evolution of the Jedi, I think that it's it's Luke's compassion for his father. You know, if Ben and if Obi Wan and Yoda had their way, Luke would have just gone in there and killed Vader. 
But Luke insisted that there was still good in him, and he redeemed him. So it's not a foregone conclusion that the doctrine of Yoda and Obi-Wan is, is the right way. Mm. Now we're getting, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I and don't I, know. I mean, it could go either way. It's, uh, you know, and I, I'm not saying that's what I want to have happen either, you know. Right, I'm, I'm, right, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, I, but I love that you went the other way because my hang-up is, you know, as I said, if they if they open that door to you know EU ish scenarios, then I feel like they they've got to commit fully. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Do but I just want I just want to say that there's no reason why anyone should assume that Luke Skywalker is going to have children or that Han and Leia even got married and had children. There's no reason to assume that because, because I really don't think that the EU is going to be leaned on for that. I just really don't think it's going to be. Well, that's, I mean, it's a really good point, especially if you consider that um, when episode seven was announced, George was pointing to his notebook of original notes about the story outline of episode seven, which was part of the Disney deal, right? That, that outline was written presumably far before the expanded novels were ever written in the 90s. So, I mean, if George has his own ideas for what happens to those characters, they're probably going to use that as the basis for this new trilogy and not necessarily what we know in the EU. So you're right. Anything can happen. Anything. And that's what really makes, you know, guys, I know that there's a lot of cynicism out there. And I, I got to tell you that it's a, it's a daily battle that I, I have with myself of swinging from being very cynical and wanting to throw my hands up in the air and say, you know, wake me up when episode seven comes uh, to, you know, being really excited about it. And, and the thing that does make me excited is the fact, exactly as David said, anything is possible. Anything can happen. Okay, next point. The Jedi Order, this is an easy one. The Jedi Order has been rebuilt with Luke Skywalker as Grand Master. By the way, is that even really a Star Wars term, Grand Master? Yeah, I think Yoda was the Grand Master of the uh, the Jedi Council. I think they're going to go with Grand Poobah. Grand Poobah. <laughs> Grand Poobah. <laughs> Grand Poobah Jedi. So what do you think, David? Do you, do you see a by the, when, when Episode 7 opens, uh, you know, 30 years, how long does it take to um, rebuild something like the uh, the Jedi Order? Or, or, are we going to see a an emerging Jedi Order? Or we're going to see a... An established Jedi Order with Luke as the um, as the as the leader. I think no matter what, we will see a struggling Jedi Order. I think that um, if there's a story to tell, and anytime you're dealing with that level of power and the temptation of the dark side, there will be some sort of Jedi Order being established in order to form some sort of uh, order post-war order right and and Luke Skywalker will absolutely, in my opinion, be at the center of it after everything that he's been through, destroying. You know, the first Death Star, uh, the Emperor and Vader, not only re- the redemption of Vader, but he's just so pivotal that uh, he would be one of the most important figures in the galaxy after the, the defeat of Palpatine. He would be. He would be the kind of the, the Nelson Mandela, in a way, of, uh, of the Star Wars universe. Uh, Jimmy Mack, uh, n- a new Jedi Order under the leadership it's- of Luke Skywalker? Absolutely. You know, Yoda said, pass on what you have learned. And uh, I believe Luke Skywalker's first Padawan would have been Leia. And he trains her and they build the order from that point forward. Um, 
How quickly can they build it in 30 years? When you consider the old Jedi Order was built on, uh, their, their methodology was to go find infants and take them away from their families, infants who shown, who had force potential, take them away from their families and have them grow up in a life with no attachment in the Jedi Temple. Mm. Will Luke be following that? Right. Um, you know, we, we just discussed this before about the path of the Jedi. And will the path of the Jedi be something that will be seriously revised in this new Jedi order uh, under Luke Skywalker? You know, you, you got a good point there when you talk about things like compassion is what you know, redeemed Vader, his son's compassion. So there's obviously a big bonus for Jedi to actually have an attachment with a child, a child of their own. So, um, so how does that Jedi order get built? Does Luke go out and recruit? Do they go back to their old ways of baby snatching? <laughs> or does he actually have a family of force sensitive, powerful young Jedi? Like the EU says he does. You know, you made me think of something that, that I don't know has ever been explored. And I'm sure we'll hear from, uh, Loyal uh, Rebel Force Radio listeners, if this is the case. But just because... Now, you have this 20-year drought, let's say, where the, the, the Jedi are... The, the, the remaining Jedi are in exile or have been, have been killed. But you still have these Force-sensitive children that are being born. But, of course, they're not being snatched, as Jimmy says, and brought to the uh, Jedi Temple for, for training. So what happens to these kids? I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of... Uh, I, uh, something between X-Men and Carrie, you know, where you have these kids with these powers, but you don't have anyone to help uh, channel them, harness them, uh, focus them. Do we think that this is an ability that lies dormant, or do you think that there could be uh, force sensitives out there that don't know what's happening to well, them? I think what what kind of gifts dormant. they have? I think it lies dormant until you get trained how to recognize it and use it. It's like opening up a door in your mind. It's because Luke, look at Luke. Luke had talents. He had skills, but he didn't think he actually had powers. Those powers had to be revealed to him. He had to learn how to tap into them. The same thing with Anakin. Well, no, Anakin was a little more overt. I mean, Anakin's abilities... You know, his mom knew that there was something, I mean, from his virgin birth all the way through to his ability to see things before they happen. Well, uh, you see, Anakin is, you know, a unique story in himself because, as you say, the virgin birth. But he didn't know how to use the force. It just was revealing itself to him as, like, skills, you know, talents. It, it's, she didn't th actually think he really could see into the future. It was like he could see things mm, before they happened. Mm -hmm. Well, and they're, they're actually very similar, those two, Luke and Anakin, in terms of, of, of some of the stories that came out. I mean, Luke, I think, would have had similar experiences to Anakin had he been in the same situation. I mean, Anakin was a slave to uh, Watto. He was involved in the pod races. He was slave to a very greedy person that was going to exploit any of those talents, no matter where they came from, the Force or luck or whatever. He's the only human that could pod race. Luke was purposefully you know, brought up in isolation on a farm, and the only time he was ever really able to stretch and exercise his powers is when he was bullseyeing t you know, womp rats with his T-16 back home and flying through Beggar's Canyon, mm -hmm. probably as a hot shot you know, in order to try and win acceptance from the local kids, but, but was completely kept away from the entire world. Luke was a much more innocent kid, in other words, than Anakin was, given mm -hmm. their surroundings. I, I think that plays into it, too. I just 
Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a that's a really good thought. I, I and I, I love this idea of uh, you know com- comparing the two, and uh, I, I think that's what we're supposed to do. I think it's no accident that George basically cast uh, Anakin as a, uh, a, a, a not a farm boy, but in this case, a slave boy uh, on Tatooine to you know bookend uh, the series uh, in terms of you know. Comparing and contrasting these two characters and the very different paths that they take. Uh, I love stories about Luke before he meets Obi Wan, and there are very few of them. But my yeah. favorite are uh, Marvel Comics issue number seventeen. I believe it was called Crucible, and it was about Luke. Think he was on board the Falcon, and he was flashing back to hanging out with Biggs and Windy and Deke and the crew over at, um, at Tashi Station. Mm-hmm. And they do show him racing through Beggar's Canyon. And he is a hot shot and everything. And he reveals skill as a pilot. And then there's also some stuff in the radio drama that features mm. a lot of Luke. You but know, don't they call him Wormy? I mean, this guy's not exactly a big man on campus here. He's well, he's kind of, the, he's kind like of he's isolated. Ner- yeah. Yeah, he's nerdy in that way because of his isolation. Yeah, kind of like Clark Kent when we see him in the in the Richard Donner Superman a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A yeah, little he's bit. kind of an outcast, and and you know he's a farm boy who's probably very very sheltered, which is why he wants out so badly. He knows that there's more out there, and he just hasn't seen a lot, you know. So the other kids probably make fun of him because of how sheltered he is. I kids are so know. cruel, bullying even on Tatooine. Yeah. <laughs> So, 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 Jim, these flashing back uh, yeah. in this in this particular comic book. So, it, was that because I, I didn't read the original Marvels? Uh, was that a, a common thing that you saw the kind of these these flashbacks, oh, or was that sort of a rare, very, very rare, yeah. very rare? There might have been a couple uh, Chewbacca flashbacks. I remember one in the fiftieth uh, issue. It was double sized. And um, it did feature a Han and Chewie flashback prior to their days in the Rebellion. Um, and there was one with a young Obi-Wan, issue 24. Really? A young yeah. Now, how was he depicted back then? Oh, really weird. He had this like crazy big mustache, and he was dressed sort of like, he looked like a tall Mr. Mixelplick, you know, from Superman. Yeah, really. Um, he just... Sort of more, you know, they took the terminology Jedi Knight and I think sort of tried to make him look like Robin Hood or Knight of Shining Armor or something along those lines. Oh, was he wearing tights? Yes, he was. Oh, God. It's very rare when you get those early looks at some of the characters prior to the events of A New Hope. And uh, that's the stuff I really like a lot. And, you know, maybe now that. Star Wars is being aggressively uh, uh, repurposed. Maybe that will figure into the mix somewhere. You know, maybe some stories about a younger Luke Skywalker before he meets Obi Wan. I was kind of hoping that's where the live action series. Well, uh, we're, we've got rumors about the live action series, so let's 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 continue to go through these. Uh, David, throwing this to you. Here's another rumor about Episode Seven. Again, courtesy of uh, the folks at Comic Book News. Uh, this, they they claim they have an inside source. At Lucasfilm, divulging this information, a disciple of Emperor, a disciple of Emperor Palpatine, aims to rebuild the Sith armies of the Old Republic and destroy the Jedi, where the Sith children, excuse me, <laughs> big difference here, the Skywalker children will be thrust into battle and face their inner demons 
of their Skywalker lineage. So this might be a little bit kind of like you know Star Wars Legacy, where Cade was you know always dealing with the the baggage that came with being a Skywalker. Do we see that as being a major plot point? And, and is this gonna is is Palpatine gonna play some sort of role in Episode Seven or a disciple of Palpatine? Well, um, very possible. I mean, we know that the history of the Sith is very, very complicated. The rules are very, very complicated in that they're designed to always be broken. Um, we have some precedents for multiple apprentices of, uh, of Palpatine. With, Appr- uh, apprentice I. Apprentice yes, apprentice <laughs> a pride of apprentices. <laughs> I, I don't even know. Um, but, yeah, something, uh-huh. uh, something along that line. Multiple um, people who would learn stuff. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, and, and at each other's throats, really. Right. And being kept secret. Um, back to the Force Unleashed, Darth Vader. Like an insurance the story policy, was, in a way. Like, yes, exactly. Well, I've got this secret apprentice over here that is actually going to do these secret missions. Um, I mean, the, the plot of the Force Unleashed was completely about that. You know, this idea that, that you have these apprentice-side people um in in secret Mm -hmm. very well could i mean who knows what palpatine was up to i mean this is the most evil being most powerful being in the galaxy especially um it was in power for years could have had just so many different people um look at all the stories in the clone wars that were told that are new to us that absolutely fit in with everything that happens in the prequels there certainly can be a new threat that that emerges from um palpatine's legacy Jimmy Mack, one of the common themes that we saw in the EU, whether it was the Jedi Order or it was the the, the government of the, the, the galaxy far, far away, is that history continued to repeat itself. The Jedi would be reborn and they would be taken down by the Sith and the, their own arrogance or what have you. There was just this constant cycle it seemed like whether it was star wars legacy or knights of the old republic or whatever it was that that, that you know those who refuse to learn history are bound to repeat it the old saying goes do you think that this sequel trilogy is just is going to carry on that theme or do you think they're going to you know like with a a disciple of of Palpatine and the Skywalkers dealing with the sins of the father and the grandfather? Or do you think they're going to go a completely different way? Oh, I think there's definitely going to be a strong connection to everything that's happened prior. Um, definitely a stronger connection to the original trilogy, but I don't see them veering off into some completely different direction. What's the best thing we can compare this to Star Trek? Star Trek went away for a while. Everyone loved Kirk and Bones and Spock. And then Star Trek comes back, but it's all different characters on a ship that looks the same and they, they're sort of acting the same. And, you know, they, they have the bridge, but you have this guy Picard and Data. Who are these? Who are these people? How can I accept this? I grew up loving Bones and Spock and Kirk. How can I accept this whole new crew? Well, they, they kept it steeped in the past, but they moved forward and created new archetypes. They didn't lean on the old ones so much. They leaned on more. Well, wait a minute now. Now, I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. I'm just going to throw this out there that, that many have said that Data is basically just an Android version of Spock. Spock, okay. That, that Picard is 
that basically Picard and Riker were the were two halves of Kirk. They basically just split the the uh, masterful uh, commander, captain, st- you know, strategist with the kind of you know good looking ladies man side, and you ended up with Riker and, and 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 Picard. That the archetypes were indeed there, but they brought them to life in a different way. And if you look back, and I'm lo- I love that you're bringing up Star Trek: The Next Generation because I think that they could look at this as a way to avoid some of the pitfalls. The Next Generation, if you look at the first season where they were kind of repeating uh, themes and in, and in some cases uh, almost mirroring uh, episodes from the original series, the show never really got great until they really charted their own territory and did things that were not seen in the original series. So do you think it should be a retread or do you think that it, it, it they should really be courageous and, and seek out you know a new... Uh, you know, I, 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 lives. <laughs> yeah, right. For lack of a better expression, I suppose. Well, what, okay, listen, my point there is not so much the archetypes thing. When, when I think that those, those characters seemed very fresh in Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, but I guess if, if you really want to break it all down to its molecular level, then yeah, you, you can see the similarities. Um, but what it comes down to is that it was different. And how can you accept something different on the same level as something you've loved for so many years? I think that's the main thing, the main focus for them to, to work on when you're trying to bring forward elements of previous Star Wars movies into the new ones, that there has to be some level of consistency. Make it fresh with new characters just like they did with the Star Trek. All right. So we're getting out of uh, the film territory, and we're getting into some rumors here about Star Wars on television. And, uh, David, I, I'm going to go on a little limb here, because I don't know if you can answer this question, and please be honest if you cannot. But in your time at LucasArts, how privy were you to discussions about a live-action series and what that might mean for the video games division there in terms of adaptations and that sort of thing? Or was that were you not privy to discussions about the what we know now is the, the now-defunct live-action series that sits on the shelf? On a scale of 1 to 10, would you describe yourself as somewhat privy, absolutely privy, in the thick of it, or I have no idea what you're talking about? Yeah. The safe answer is no. So, I mean, certainly I, I, I knew about the series. Uh-huh. Um, you know, everyone knew about the series. Um, it was discussed publicly. Sure. Um, had the series moved further, there absolutely would have been, um, there would have been support, you know, across all of the divisions. Certainly, I mean, we were supporting the Clone Wars with games. Had there been a live-action series, we would have supported it with, with games as well. Um, I, I have no doubt of that. Um, but, uh, I mean, beyond that, I can't really say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it didn't really come. It doesn't really matter because it didn't really come to fruition. I mean, the, the live action series didn't didn't happen in the time that I was there. Um, but, you know, it was discussed uh, openly as as a possibility and um, and certainly influenced a lot of decisions around that time as it was a possibility. Um, that's about all I can say. Well, well, riddle me this. If we're looking at a still a potential release uh, 
time frame of 2015 for episode 7. It seems logical to me that there would be video game support for something of this magnitude, a la episode 1. Would there be a video game in development concurrently with a film? Or, you know, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how in how much the licensees might already starting to be activated here at this point. Mm. What do you think? I mean, just as somebody who knows the industry and knows the, you know, the, sure. the, the, well, the process I mean, for things like this. This, and this I can actually answer safely because I have no information on this. Right. Um, so, I, I mean, it's pure speculation when I say that, um, I mean, anything at this point is possible. Um, certainly there's, I mean, there's no internal studio left at LucasArts for that to happen. And a lot of people that were developing titles in LucasArts, you know, even on the production side, they're just not there anymore. I mean, mm. they're, they're, they're not around. However, um, Disney has Disney Interactive. Disney has its own games in development. And, um, you know, episode, episode seven is, is, was only announced in October. I mean, certainly there is time to do that. Um, and you're absolutely right. Big game releases. I mean, one of the most successful games that we did was episode three, the video game, um, back in 2005. And we got it out, uh, before the, before the movie came out. And that was a huge success. Um, at the same time, I was just having this discussion the other day. I mean, the Avengers was a huge Disney movie, right? Right. I don't remember them blowing out an Avengers video game. I don't think they did. And and I, I, I it just makes me wonder. I mean, I don't. I honestly don't know what the future of, of video games are for Star Wars. Um, you know, LucasArts closing. Um, you know, throughout its successes and failures, no matter what, it's it's the end of an era, and that's you know that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the outpouring of of, uh, of emotions and, and reflection on the company. Uh, what happens in the future? Who knows? But Disney has not always done a huge video game. And in some cases, they do. Um, well, there's you know, the I game believe- where Mickey runs around with the paintbrush. I have seen those commercials. Epic Mickey. Yeah, there you go. Those. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they definitely are in the games business. But, um, but uh, yeah, I just don't know in terms of Star Wars. I mean, it does seem to me, though, that that is an opportunity that should be leveraged and, and could be a lot of dollars and certainly a lot of enjoyment for, for people that want to play it. Now, interesting. You brought you brought up the episode three adaptation, and I, I, I rem- it was like a religious experience being able to buy that game before the movie came out because it, at that point you you were just at, at fever pitch for anything, and seeing some of the animatics and kind of playing through the game. Well, um, and they put we put movie footage in it as well. Right, I mean, that which, was that was oh. a brilliant move on the part of Lucasfilm to get, just put these little movie snippets in there because you got to watch sections that. You know, you watching R two pop out of the Jedi Starfighter for the first oh. time. You saw you saw it in the game before yeah. you saw it in the in the in the. Theater. Well, there are only two Star Wars games that I bought day of release. Uh, the first was uh, Battlefront Two because uh, mm-hmm. I remember that came out when the uh, original trilogy on uh, DVD came out the same day and date. That and, was Battlefront One. Oh, was that Battlefront One? Okay, so Battlefront yep, yep, One, two thousand four. Yep. And then uh, Episode Three. I remember running to Best Buy when Episode Three. The video game was coming out, but in terms of 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 that, were you guys working on that uh, at the same time as the film was being developed, or was that something that was really fast tracked? Because no, of- no, I mean those. I mean, games take a long time to develop. That right. was absolutely in development, absolutely. And in fact, um, that game 
was kind of the spiritual successor to uh, the Bounty Hunter team, um, where it kind of morphed into a, a dual production between internal LucasArts development and development in a company uh, here, in, here in L.A. called The Collective. And um, it was in development for a long time. And, and uh, one of the interesting things about le- after leaving LucasArts is kind of looking back on, on certain things. And I, I found a notepad where I, where I read um, the script for Episode 2, uh, far before it had come out because I was working on Jedi Starfighter at the time and, and we were doing the same things. We were going to ILM and seeing rough cuts of episode three before it came out because we were working on the game and we just wanted to have context for what it was we were building. And Yeah, and, sure. You know, we were, it had nothing to do with the fact that you wanted to see rough cuts of episode three, right? Are you kidding me? I so wanted to see rough cuts. I was like, I was, I was sitting, I was trying not to act so excited. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. We're going to go right. see, we're going to go see the first part of episode three. Whatever. Right. It's uh, fine. It's, it's fine. It's just another day at the office. <laughs> uh, but no, the first time I saw it, there was a guy pulling up scenes on the Avid um, down yeah. at ILM just right. saying, oh, I think this scene happens. And then this one, hold on. And he was like referencing a spreadsheet and. Um, See, I'd been, and, I'd no, been was, crying at that point. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a, no, it was amazing. It was yeah. absolutely amazing. But yeah, I mean, um, the crew at Skywalker was was making the movie while we were making the game. So right. yeah, we were kind of doing our thing, and they were doing their thing, and you're just constantly checking in. Right. Um, yeah, they're absolutely developed in parallel. So um, it's years of work in order to get a game yeah. out, and you have to have an incredible foresight in order to. You have to plan. You really have to plan in order to get a game out the door weeks before the movie hits the theaters. Um, You know, I I remember when Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie came out and there was a Spider-Man game right there. Boom. Yep. And everyone just kind of went, oh, well, yeah. I mean, this is I mean, and that game made a killing. And and I think the whole industry looked at it and said, well, we should absolutely be putting out a huge movie game when a huge movie comes out. Because just like you said, I mean, that was a very it was a very specific um, idea. It's like, well, you want to cross market, right? So if the if the the original Star Wars trilogy was coming out on DVD, you put Battlefront out at retail and you make it a Star Wars event because right. as a fan, you're so excited, you just want to go and have a Star Wars party and you're just going to pick it up. You know, it's right there on the shelf. The same thing happened with Episode Three, the movie and the game, and then following that fall, Battlefront Two and Episode Three on DVD landed at the same time. And that's all very that's done very specifically, and it takes it takes years of planning to do yeah. that stuff. All right, we just got a couple more of these we want to get through here. Uh, th- Jimmy, we heard from Dave Filoni last week about, uh, uh, or, or the rumors, I should say, about a, a potential new animated TV series. Uh, no, it's no rumor. Dave confirmed that he is uh, working on developing the next era of animated Star Wars television. Right, I, right, I. Didn't know how specific uh, you know we could get, but there's a rumor here, according to Comic Book News, that it's going to focus on the rebellion taking down the remaining remnants of the Empire spread across the galaxy. We're talking about post Episode Six. Uh, instead of the Jedi purge, we're we're talking about an Imperial purge uh, at the hands of the rebellion. Um, similar to the Clone Wars, and featuring a large cast of characters, but not focusing on a, a soul. Group, uh, for example, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and and Han Solo. Um, Jimmy, you interviewed the man himself, Dave Filoni. Now there were no details, uh, obviously revealed. But what kind of credence do you do you uh, give a rumor like this that we're talking about a post Episode Six animated series? 
Well, I definitely think that the focus moving forward with Star Wars and the Star Wars saga is going to be beyond the original trilogy. And I definitely think that this uh, idea has a lot of potential, both... uh, it excites me as a fan, and I think realistically it could be something that uh, Lucasfilm will want to pursue because if we are talking 30 years of separation between the end of Episode 6 and the beginning of Episode 7, then you're going to want to fill in that gap a little bit. And an animated television series may be just the perfect way to set the table for Episode 7. I predict that... The new animated series, while it will be similar to The Clone Wars in which it features a large cast of characters, I don't think it's going to be similar to The Clone Wars as far as look. I don't think it's going to be nearly as ambitious because of expense. Mm. And I believe that is something that actually had a lot to do with The Clone Wars stopping production when it did. And for them to wind down the series is because of the sheer expense for a television show. It costs a lot of money to create each and every episode of the Clone Wars. I've never actually heard an estimated cost per episode. Some episodes cost more and some Mm -hmm. cost depending on how ambitious they were. But we saw a majority of episodes being extremely ambitious. And you know that costs a lot of coin. As Star Wars fans, we love it because we set our standards high as fans. And Lucasfilm has always responded. However, you can't discount the fact that the the Gindi Tartakovsky uh, micro-series was very popular. And definitely felt like Star Wars and connected with Star Wars fandom. And so there's, you know, there's, 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 I just want the story to be good. No matter what the mm-hmm. new series is, mm-hmm. I, I want it to look good, but I want the stories to be really good and not like uh, the old G.I. Joe cartoon where everything was. Hey, very- that show still holds up, man. Well, you know what I'm saying, though? It just, it, it, when you consider. <laughs> The impact that the Clone Wars is the the television show has had on the overall Star Wars saga. Yeah, you know, I I, I want whatever new animated. Right, you're show. saying that the medium doesn't really matter as long. The main thing is the story, telling great Star Wars stories, and you'll adapt to what you know the style and the way that it's told, whether it's two D, three D, CG, what have you. Of course, uh, right, David. I, I want to ask you because you know you you got to think about the fact that. Uh, the fans out there and the, the the landscape as as far as fandom goes is we've got a whole generation of kids that you know really like Clone Wars is their Star Wars. I mean that's that you know Obi Wan and Yoda and Anakin and Ahsoka and and Rex. I mean that's Star Wars to them. And as hard as you know us that are in the original trilogy generation for us to wrap our minds around, that's the case. Would the next? Does it make sense? Does this rumor make sense that the next animated effort? would be all the way fast forward post episode 6 and focus on the dismantling of the of the empire. Well, I think it has to be to a certain respect to a certain extent. It kind of has to be about this new era. I mean, one of the great things that the Clone Wars did was it it introduced new characters and it did it in a very um it did it in a very friendly way. When we first saw the Clone Wars, it was Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, clones, um you know, Palpatine, all this kind of stuff. 
But it introduced Ahsoka. It introduced Rex. It brought Asajj Ventress in. And all of these characters, Cad Bane and, and, um, and Hondo, I mean, all of these characters became the real characters that we wanted to hear about. But not at first. At first, it was kind of like, who are these new? Who are these new characters? And of course, the show was also evolving and finding its voice at that time. But you know, by the end of the show, we cared so much about Ahsoka Tano. Tano, Tano. We cared so much about you Ahsoka. You say that- Tano, I say Tano. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that. Uh, exa- exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it became about that. I mean, I just don't know. And this is, I guess, to your point, they don't really have the ability to do that if they drop you in cold before a movie with new characters. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I think they have to set it in a new in a new era, but they need to find those Star Wars anchors to let to let people know um, that this is this is Star Wars. You know, somehow tie it in with something familiar, and and this is the challenge. But what a great opportunity to kind of ease people into new stories. Um, we were kind of eased into Episode One because we knew that that Yoda was going to be in it. We knew that Anakin was going to, or excuse me, we knew that Obi Wan was going to be in it. Um, what do we have with the with the new trilogy? I mean, we've we've got the Skywalker crew, we've got uh, Han Solo, we've got some characters, you know. But um, I I don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah. But I do think that it, that they need to set it in the new era. We need to explore a new era, and that's got to start. And we've got to get to know those characters. And I think once we do, we're really going to care about them a lot, and we're going to want to see what happens to them next. All right, well, there you go. So Jimmy Mac and David Collins weighing in on the latest Episode Seven rumors from comic book news um now here's something that's that's not a rumor we actually have this is a a clip from a a podcast the nerdist podcast where we have um a writer by the name of uh, steven skaya i believe it is or skaya now this is a guy that was in the room david in the original writer's room with george lucas for the live action Star Wars series, so we see that these some of this is is coming to light uh, as to what went down and what might have happened. This reminds me to continue with the Star Trek comparisons, the infamous Star Trek Phase Two uh, series that almost was that became Star Trek the Motion Picture. We're going to likely hear more and more details about what might have been, what could have been, and here's just the first here: Steven Skaya on the Star Wars, or excuse me, the Nerdist podcast talking about the Star Wars live-action series and what it was like to be there in the room with George Lucas. I, along with my writing partner, Matt Fireman, who's over there, everybody. Um, we, uh, we were the first, like, class of the, 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 like, the first writing room for the Star Wars live-action TV show that may or may not happen. And um, it was exactly what you would think that that experience is in, in all of the all of the greatness of sitting next to the guy who is one of the reasons you do what you do, and you sit next to him for a week and a half straight, and you, you just, you're talking about Star Wars. And it's not you with action figures like it has always been for your entire life. You're actually talking to the guy. And, you know, there's, there's no greater moment creatively for me than the, like one of the days we're in the room and we're all, we're, we're beating out an action scene and I'm, Kind of like a little bit running around the room, a little high energy sometimes, you know, and especially when you're in the Star Wars room, you know. And uh, it's, a, it's a beloved character who's 
flying around in his jetpack, and I'm, and then he flies through a thing and does a thing, and then a thing happens, and then I finish, and I'm just sitting there, like, dripping with sweat out of breath, and the, the room goes back to talking, and he's sitting next to me, and he leans over, and he goes, you know, you look like you're, like, nine years old right now. <laughs> and I said, I, I, listen, I'm not gonna lie to you, I, I completely am. And he's, he said, you know what, I'll tell you something. I haven't had this much fun in a room since we were breaking the truck chase in Raiders. So it sounds like George was having a grand old time. We know that uh, you see, really see him in his element in some of the the bonus features, Jim, that we've seen on the the Clone Wars DVDs, where you actually see some of those those writers' meetings. You know, George is just like a kid in a candy shop, and he loves holding court and talking to his writers and and working through these these storylines. And it's just in so many ways, it's just heartbreaking that we'll you know likely never see any of this stuff. Yeah. He goes on to explain in that interview, uh, Stephen Skaya does, that uh, George didn't give them any boundaries. He just said, let your imagination run completely wild. And the, the, the question of whether or not these TV shows, these scripts can come off the, the shelf and actually be produced, to Stephen at least, is, is absurd because... Any executive would look at him and say, how will we be able to make this a TV show? They were that ambitious. It's one of those things that they talk about in the, in the commodities that they exchanged when Disney bought, mm-hmm. you know, however many scripts there were. It's, it's, it's got to be one of those things that they just looked at and they're like, oh, my God, this is a, there's a, there's how many of these scripts did he make? Did he, I mean, how many did he commission? And the thing is, like, the, the thing that's, that's great about it is it's like they're just they're completely unproducible because George doesn't. He just was just like, guys, just write what you want. We're like, okay, but, you know, like in this act, I think maybe we can only do one action scene because, you know, in the standing sets, and he's like, guys, guys, just, just make it awesome. Just, like, have fun with it. Don't, don't worry about how much it's going to cost. And, like, just, it's, just go for it. So you really, you got highest balls on your imagination, and you just went for it. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and uh, Steven Skaya, he's, he's probably best known for uh, – being the uh, executive uh, story consultant or uh, um, uh, producer, I should say, for uh, the TV show Jericho. I don't know if you remember that. It was yeah, on. Yeah, of course. S- right. From uh, 2006 to 2008, it was like a post apocalyptic right. uh, mushroom cloud over Denver, Colorado sort of TV show. That old chestnut, of course. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, I want to I ask you guys something because th- that really. Jim, when you were talking about that uh, ambitious nature of this series and the sky's the limit, you got to think about this young 20-something nerdy-looking guy that had this amazing story to tell back in the 1970s, and he had no idea how he was going to make it happen, how he was going to... He had all these friends that were filmmakers, and they were telling him he was crazy, he was nuts, except for one or two. But there was a fearlessness there. And you fast forward 20 years later, and you've got that great scene of this same guy standing up in front of his top generals in his effects company, and he's got those highlighters and he's like this is cg and this is real and this is cg and you got john knoll crapping himself they have no idea how they're going to make this happen <laughs> but this fearlessness is there this fearlessness and the same fearlessness that you heard about with with uh with uh, steven skaya 
The sky's the limit. Don't box yourself in. We'll figure out a way to make it happen. I want to ask you, David, do you think that Disney has the stomach to be that fearless and that fearlessness that has contributed to what has made Star Wars great over these years? Uh, you know, I think that um, that Disney is, I mean, Disney is working with J.J. Abrams. Disney is working with Kathy Kennedy. Um, these these are people that have a history of making very memorable and very daring entertainment. I mean, I, I, I don't know in terms of a TV show versus a movie. I think the movie will be first and, and everything will be follow, will follow unless it's in support of that movie. Um, but Disney owns these scripts, right? Disney owns that show. Sure. Um, and you just, you just never know. I mean, that's actually one of the things that's really interesting about the time that we're in, which is we don't know. And there's a whole group of people that are now looking at this property and will hopefully make those daring decisions. Um, television is not as expensive as a medium uh, as film. Right. And film, uh, Star Wars traditionally has just made a killing in the box office and has driven licensing programs and all kinds of stuff like that. I think that the films will be daring. I think that the films will be bold. And depending on their success, who knows? You know, um, I thought The Avengers was was a fantastic, really fun, fun movie. And I I mean, I like the Marvel characters, you know, but I, I love Star Wars. So, I mean. Had I felt about Marvel the way I feel about Star Wars, I just would have been on cloud nine uh, with that movie. And they put yeah. the right talent in place for it. Between Marvel and Disney, they put the right people in there with Joss Whedon and all of the, all of the casting that they did. They had the right talent making that game. I think that anything's possible. I do think that, um, you know, that you know, as we know with George Lucas, there, there are a lot of very expensive television shows that he's made over the years. Young Indiana Jones, um, uh, The Clone Wars. I just don't know how Disney feels about that. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on what they see out of these movies and um, how successful. I think that will determine whether or not they think a TV show like that is 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 worth the risk. Jimmy Mack, George Lucas has always been about, in, in, in many ways, and, and, and it's funny because there'd be, I'm sure, a lot of cynics out there that would say it's the opposite. But I think that George has always put story first, even when we don't see it. Even when we think that it's 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 a it's a special effects fest, it's always been about here's the story I want to tell. Now mm-hmm. let me figure out how to make it. Does mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse have the balls? <laughs> to, hey boys to, and girls, not not judging <laughs> from that voice, right? Right? No, no, really. I mean, does does do they I have do they have saying. the guts to be do that to be that fearless the- when it comes to creating Star Wars. And it's that inventiveness and that innovation that has gone to not just create great mythology and storytelling like Star Wars has, but also to further uh, the, the industry and to sort of pay it forward. George has always sort of paid his success forward and reinvested into the industry. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I don't know how I feel. Uh, uh, David brings up a great point. The Avengers is sort of uh, you know, it's it's sort of the gold standard of the modern blockbuster in a film that we never thought would ever happen. Um, you'd never see these these mega stars and these mega characters up on screen. So there is a, a, a fearlessness there. But getting back to the question, do they have the stomach for this kind of fearless filmmaking that George has proven uh, that he does? 
Well, let me let me rephrase your question for you because I'm going to remove the faceless corporate entity, Disney, and I'm going to replace that with does J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan have the balls? I think those guys do. I definitely have a lot of faith in Kasdan. I have a ton of faith in Kasdan. And I know that these guys are going to be surrounding themselves with some top-notch talent and talent who are going to see Star Wars as an opportunity to create new technology when it comes to filmmaking and to push the envelope because that's what Star Wars has always been about. Nobody wants to put the Star Wars logo at the front of a film and have it end up being just so-so as far as... Just another blockbuster. Right, just another blockbuster. We don't want Armageddon. We want something (laughs) that's going to have a solid and deep mythology, have the special effects bang to back it up, because we do want to be... We we want our jaws to open up at the spectacle of it all. But we need that core character development and connection with each other, chemistry among the characters. And I think guys like Abrams and Kasdan are going to bring that to the table. And Michael Arndt and Simon Kimberg, these are very talented guys who understand they've worked with George Lucas, except for Abrams. He hasn't. Hmm. But, um, you know, Abrams could be considered in, in some ways – a new George Lucas. Sure. Definitely not as daring. I mean, he's, he definitely is someone. Kind of looks like him, actually. He does look like him, and, but he just seems like someone who, you know, he, he keeps his cards close to his chest. He's not afraid to push the limits on things, and he's not afraid to experiment. That's the key, experimentation. And he's someone who respects the history of filmmaking and understands that the past propels the future. So, at least I hope he does. I'm assuming that last part. <laughs> but, right. um, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, I've seen pictures of, of Abrams at work. I've seen pictures of him sitting at a table deep in conversation with George Lucas himself. And Steven Spielberg regards J.J. Abrams on a very high level. So, that sort of um, endorsement means a lot yeah. to me. Well, I mean, if you look at if you look at Star Trek Eleven, if you look at the two thousand nine film, uh, it was a pretty gutsy thing. I mean, to reboot the universe. I mean, I know that 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 JJ didn't write it, but I mean, JJ was intimately involved, and it was definitely the project that he was helming. And uh, you know, uh, Orsi and Kurtzman were working with him, and you know, it really turned a lot of what the Trekkers out there knew and loved about the Star Trek universe on its head. And so I, I, I like that you're putting the, the human face to it and looking at the creative team that's been assembled to bring Star Wars back onto the silver screen. I think that that, that, that helps. It is, David, it is tempting to kind of, as a Star Wars fan these days, focus your frustration on the the big corporate monster uh, that is Disney, but you know as well as anybody that at its at its uh, true self, Lucasfilm was also a corporation. Sure, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
change is, is always incredibly difficult. And the change that we're going through right now, and, you know, I mean, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult because there are a lot of things that are ending as new things are beginning. And we haven't seen these new things yet. We know that they're out there, but there are just a lot of questions in Star Wars fans' minds because there is a changing of the guard that's happening and it's painful. However, with that comes a tremendous promise of something better, and you know it's still to be determined. I will say that I agree with Jimmy that if you look at the the key players in in what's going on here, if you actually get specific and and take it out of the Wall Street conversation, which can be very very scary, that sort of idea of this you know faceless organization taking over Star Wars, there are very dedicated, talented people that are on board to to take Star Wars to the next chapter. And it's come at a price, um, you know, and, and it's something that uh, that I experienced, of course, you know, uh, personally by watching uh, LucasArts Shutter last week. Um, but that price, you just you just don't know. It could be amazing. And I will agree with both of you. I thought that Star Trek from 2009 was brilliant to use the fiction the science fiction in order to make a reboot an actual sequel actually star trek 11 was one of the most clever things i had ever seen when i saw that movie um because it pleased they managed to please everybody um or almost everybody i'm sure there were you know some trekkers that you know don't don't like the movie but it was such a strong strong movie and all of the elements came together I think the right thing to do is to hope for the best and, you know, weather the changes as best we can with as much grace and as dignity as we can, we, as we can manage. And for those of us that worked on, on, on Star Wars, you know, uh, hope, uh, hope that we get an opportunity to revisit the galaxy far, far away and, and potentially be involved in the new direction while celebrating where we've been because uh, change is inevitable, and things move forward, and you know, hopefully, it there's there's good stuff to come. We just have to hope right. for the best. Always in motion is the future. Well, we want to take a, a break here from all of this heavy conversation and do something really fun. We want to give away a couple of books. Jimmy Mack, we still have a couple of copies of Aaron Alston's X-wing Mercy Kill. Yes, uh, courtesy of our friends at uh, uh, Del Rey. Right. Two lucky winners have been chosen before the start of the show. Would you like to? reveal the names all right jason that's right we got two autographed hardcover copies of aaron alston's x-wing mercy kill and our winners for this week are shannon lux from san antonio texas shannon and mike bentley that's mike bentley mike from bentley. we'll be reaching out to you guys soon and let you know how you can get your prize wait so mike just says he's from florida he doesn't give us a city He's just, no, no, no. He's just. Mike from Florida. Yeah, he's just in Florida somewhere. (laughs) He's just, he's doing the panhandle thing. It's a big state, Mike. Yeah. Throw us a bone here. All right. Hey, hey, David, this is uh, one of our favorite bits here uh, on the program. We really uh, want you to stick around for this. We got, we got Billy D coming up. Can you hang out for some Billy D? Yes, I can. All right, here we go. Billy D, right here on Rebel Force Radio. Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy D. Yeah! Don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Billy D. Sorry, baby, it's just business. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. Works every time. And Lando Calrissian is forever. <laughs> Star Wars and Lando Calrissian, indeed, forever. 
And it's really exciting to think about Episode 7 in, in, in so many ways. But one way in particular that uh, gets me jumping out of bed every morning is the possibility of Billy D stepping back into the cape as Lando Calrissian. And uh, Jimmy Mack, the Billy D quote of the week just... Uh, increases the excitement each and every week. What do you got for us this week? Well, this week, you know, the focus is more on Billy D's sequel trilogy news, more than the quote, but you know we had to feature in a quote somewhere because this week, Billy D. Williams is asking us for our help. He's saying, yes, he's saying, help me. And I recall late last year, Billy D. appeared in Celebrity Ghost Stories asking for help. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Billy, he needs our help. Right. But does he need our help from supernatural forces? Perhaps. Perhaps he does. Everyone asks Billy D where he goes. He can't, he goes to a lot of conventions. He's always rubbing elbows with the fans and the media you can't even go out to have a bite to eat without some TMZ Yahoo sticking a camera in his face, asking him about Star Wars Episode Seven. Well, we don't have audio from TMZ this week, but we do have an update to Billy D's official Facebook page. And it begins with a, a setup before we get into what Billy D himself actually had to say. Everyone is still asking about the new Star Wars movie. The best way to ensure that Billy D. Williams will be the, in the new film is to Facebook, Twitter, blog, and tell Disney and Lucasfilm that you want to see Lando again. Hopefully, J.J. will read the wishes and write Lando in. Until then, that's all that's known, is that he hasn't been officially signed. So now we're going from Save the Clone. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This is not, this is not good. We're going to hashtag help Billy D. <laughs> and so it begins. This is not good. I think the writing's on the wall here just a little bit. Uh, we got Mark Hamill out there. He's uh, Well, he was out there talking about Episode 7 until somebody shoved the sock in his mouth. Uh, Carrie Fisher in and out of rehab, in and out of the hospital, talking about, yeah, I'm going to be in a new movie. Harrison Ford, he's talking about being in the new movie. <laughs> Billy D was talking about being in the new movie, and now wait a minute, we got an SOS campaign. We've got to save Billy D and his chance. Wait a minute, this has elements of the Shatner desperation of uh, with, with J.J. Abrams and his on again, off again battle with the Shats as Shatner was trying to get himself into the role. I'm worried now. I thought that this was getting the whole band back together. And uh, Billy D, in my opinion, Lando Calrissian, he's part of that band. We at least deserve a cameo with Billy D. But here's what Billy D himself has to say. And I'm going to do it in a Billy D voice, and I know it's going to suck what you guys have to do with it. <laughs> Here we go. Let Here her we rip. go. Now, maybe Dave Collins can direct you in this, Jimmy. Maybe Dave can give you your motivation in this. David, uh, I think there's only one directive you can give me at this point i i wait for that uh it needs to be uh, faster more intense faster. more intense there you go <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> i'm in the dark with the actual plans that disney and lucasfilm have for the future of the new star wars universe 
I've heard the same rumors that the fans heard, that a new trilogy is being made, that spinoffs may be made, that we all are going to be reprising our roles in these projects. A little higher, just a little higher! (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, it's all right. At this point in time, nothing has been confirmed about my participation and I have signed no contracts. But I assure you, I would absolutely love to reprise my role of Lando Calrissian from Bisbon. <laughs> He's a character that I took great pride in creating on screen and have continued to be a part of when providing his voice for video games, the new Star Wars Detours cartoon. Uh, excuse me, uh, Billy D. Um... That's been canceled, too. Star Wars Detours, that's, it's not happening. Not happening. No, well, I no, it's, it is. it's been canceled. Well, I think it is. Yeah, don't try to, don't, don't try to cash those checks. I've also been in Robot Chicken. Has that been canceled, too? No, no, that's still going on. That's okay. That's, yeah, that's good. I think it's a lot of fun to keep Lando alive. <laughs> and I'm eager to do it again on film when I get the call. <laughs> <laughs> I thank all the fans out there for the continued support, and I hope to get the call from Disney and Lucasfilm real soon. Until then, may the force be with us all. Works every time. <laughs> uh, I'm worried. I'm worried. Good. Nice job, Jimmy Mac. Keeping that up. That's a long statement that Billy D posted to his official fan page on Facebook. Uh, guys, you know, if you'd have told if you'd have asked me a week ago, I would have said it was a foregone conclusion that Lando would be written into the new Star Wars film. Uh, it's it's sounding like Billy D has heard otherwise. Uh, other if not, I can't imagine him making such a public spectacle of this if he doesn't have it on some pretty decent authority that he's not he's not slated to be in episode 7 still waiting for that phone to ring yeah I don't know you smell that it smells cool but it smells kind of desperate at the same time I don't know I don't know it's, uh, it's, a, it's a little bothersome but uh, you gotta help Billy D hashtag help Billy D help. that's our new cause right. help me help me have fun with it folks i mean come on uh, you know this this is uncharted territory for us star wars fans we're so used to having everything just kind of laid out in front of us we always know what the next comic book the next novel the next video game <laughs> nothing nothing is certain anymore but as david collins pointed out anything can happen and uh david i cannot thank you enough my friend 
David Collins joining us as the third co-host here on Rebel Force Radio. What a great time. Thank you for taking the time and hanging out with us and going down memory lane about uh, LucasArts. You are indeed a wonderful ambassador to Star Wars fans and a huge fan yourself. So it's always a pleasure to have you on the program and breaking down the news with us. Well, thanks so much, you guys. It's always a pleasure to be on. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, it was I, it was great honoring the work and honoring the legacy of LucasArts with you guys on the show. And to all of my LucasArts fans, employees, past, present, everyone that worked at it, much love and respect. All right. Don't forget, we have uh, the big contest there at welovefine.com. Um, go to welovefine.com for great Star Wars t-shirts and We've got a coupon code for you. That's Rebel Force 15. Save 15% off your order. It's very addictive. They got some great, great shirts there. Not just Star Wars, but they got all kinds of stuff. But uh, you want to use that coupon code Rebel Force 15 and save 15% off. You know, Jason, we were planning on having Chris mocked on the show this week. We ran out of time, but I want to let everyone know in the Chicago area that The Force Within Us will be shown at the Chicago Critics Film Festival this Saturday, 3 p.m. at the Movie Co. Movie Theater in Rosemont. We'll be followed by a Q&A with Chris and his director of photography, Ian. For more information, go to chicagocriticsfilmfestival.com. And also from the bottom of my heart, rest in peace, Roger Ebert and Marvel Comics Star Wars artist Carmine Infantino. We lost both of them this week. So Rebel Force Radio bids you both farewell, and you guys will both be missed. Roger Ebert, what a legend. Uh, we've had our uh, our run-ins with Roger in the past, but you cannot, cannot uh, discount the contribution that he made. He really put, he and Gene Siskel both, and uh, they're reunited once again, uh, I'm sure, in the force, but uh, really made being a movie critic something to crow about and uh, an innovator in so many ways and I and I highly recommend his latest book it's sort of a, a, a autobiography came out a couple of years ago is fantastic amazing stories great stuff it's available at audible.com and we know that you know about audible uh, check it out great stuff and uh, yes uh, rest in peace Roger Ebert yeah don't forget, if you uh, do live in the greater Chicago area, you can listen to an exclusive version of Rebel Force Radio just about each and every week on WCKG, 1530 AM. Those are on Sundays at 2 o'clock Central. If you like to uh, stream it, you can do so on the WCKG app or listen at 1530WCKG.com. Tell us what you think about the show. Email address, show at rebelforceradio.com that's show at rebelforceradio.com the voicemail line if you'd like to do that 708-320-1737 that's 708-320-1RFR follow us on twitter at rebelforceradio at Jimmy Mac Radio at Jason Swank uh, Dave Collins where can folks find you on the twitter are you still tweeting uh, out there I am still tweeting out there they can find me at at David W. Collins at David W. Collins. Uh, the f- official Facebook page for Rebel Force Radio, facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio, and a great community of folks we have there commenting and posting and sharing news, rumors, thoughts, opinions about what's happening in the Star Wars universe. We got to band together, guys. This is not the time to um, to not be together as we face this Uncharted territory of Star Wars fans. 
as one consolidated group. Keep it within the family. iTunes, that's a great place to subscribe and review. Rebel Force Radio and our various podcasts, all of our podcast efforts, part of the Shot Glass Digital Empire at iTunes. Check out Rebel Force Radio and uh, please leave us a review. Only one rule. Make it good. If you are carrying around one of them, their uh, smartphones, we got a great uh, suggestion for you. A wonderful podcatcher application that is available for iOS and Android devices. That's Stitcher, the Stitcher radio app. You can download it for free today. All the details are available at Stitcher.com. And, uh, Jimmy, that's your go-to app for listening to podcasts. Love the Stitcher. Our official website, you can find us at rebelforceradio.com. And for you James Bond fans out there, as I said, lots of great stuff happening at the Shot Glass Digital Empire of podcasts, shotglassdigital.com, including Bondcast. We've got From Russia With Love Part 1 available for you to listen to. We'll be recording Part 2 in the next couple of weeks, so that'll be coming at you. In the meantime, you can check out the other side of Jimmy Mack at Snyder Marks Radio. With his lovely little wife, Wendy. You can check those episodes out at SnyderMarksRadio.net. Jim, what do you got coming up with us this week? Still dealing with the fallout from the neighborhood Prowler incident. Mm. Prowler. All right, check it out. Snyder Marks Radio. And once again, ShotGlassDigital.com. Your home, your source for all of our programming. That's ShotGlassDigital.com. That's it. We're out of here. David, once again, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll see you next time, guys. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you always. Always.